Let's pray. Almighty God, we look to You through the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. We ask that You would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to obey um, Your glorious Word as we come to You through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I think this is going to be an important and challenging sermon for many of you this morning. Uh, It has challenged me. It is my hope and expectation that you are going to be stretched in your faithfulness and obedience to God as a result of hearing this sermon this morning. In particular, Christians typically experience a gap between God's wonderful promises and our possession of the content of those promises. Sometimes that gap is small. Sometimes that gap is very wide. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. God promises us hope and peace. Romans 15 verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So He promises us hope, joy, and peace here in this passage. But for many of us, there is a gap between the promise of hope, joy, and peace and our experience of it. For some, that gap is narrow. And for others, that gap is so wide that it is tempting to wonder if God's promises are actually hollow promises that He has given us. Or another example, God promises us freedom from anxiety. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's the promise. The promise that your hearts and your minds will be guarded in Christ Jesus, that you will have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. But many Christians don't experience those promises, but live with ongoing anxiety and worry. So do you see what I'm talking about? The the gap between what God promises and our possession of those promises. A third example would be God promises that we can live self-controlled lives. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. But many struggle with building a pattern of self-control into their lives. So again, the, the gap between the promise and the possession of the promise can be wide or it can be small. It varies from person to person. And even for the individual, there may be one person who does not struggle with anxiety, but does struggle with self-control. And so, we have these gaps in our lives between what God promises 
and what we possess. Why do Christians fail to experience the full benefit of God's promises? Why are there things promised to us in God's Word that we fail to possess? The issue... Our pass, or this is the issue that our passage raises and answers for us. You will see that God wants you to indeed experience the full benefit of His promises. And you will learn how to possess them for yourself. And the issue is going to revolve around your faithfulness to God. So let's look at our passage. In verse 1, we see, uh, or we are introduced to this widow. Her husband has died. He, has a friend, he was a friend of Elisha, and he served as one of the prophets in the company of the prophets. In the ancient Near East, they did not have life insurance. You know, we take a lot of things for granted in our nation. Even in our worst circumstances, we are much better off than the daily experience of most people living in the world today. And certainly better off than the previous centuries. And so hard times had befallen this widow. She didn't have a safety net underneath her. She had two small children and she could not make enough money to make ends meet. So she had gotten behind in her bills, and the creditors had come knocking at her door. They were threatening to take her two children and sell them as slaves to pay off her debts. This widow is extremely poor, and she is living unthinkable hardship. She must have been experiencing torment in her soul. She may not have been fully able to appreciate it it at the time, but God had His eye upon this dear woman. He knew her circumstances. He felt her suffering. So then the question is, why would God allow this to happen to this poor woman? God always has His reasons. And we will never know the full scope of His purposes. But we do know that God is always in control of all things. He allowed this poor woman's husband to die. He allowed her to fall into severe, uh, into severe debt. He allowed the creditors to come knocking at her door. Lamentations 3, 37 and 38 says, Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? He's not just in control of the good things. He's in control of all things. We may not know the full scope of God's purposes when He allows us to go through periods of distress and suffering, but we do know that He is testing the faithfulness of His children. Will we stick with Him or will we reject Him? Will we rely on Him or will we rely on ourselves and our own resources? Job faced incredible suffering. And remember what Job said? 
He said, though He slay me, yet I will hope in Him. How do you respond when God puts you through the ringer? Do you get angry? Do you worry? Do you try not to think about it and think positive thoughts? How do you respond when God is putting you through a test? When He's putting you through difficult times? Do you hope in God? It is important that you hope in God because He requires your unquestioning and wholehearted faithfulness when He sends you through a trial. Now for proof of this, let's look at the text. Elisha could have simply prayed and asked God to make some money appear on her table. But instead, what he did was he gave this poor widow a seemingly nonsensical command. Look at verses 2 through 4. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she only had one jar of oil, probably a small jar of oil in her house. And she told her children in obedience to Elisha's command to go to all the neighbors and ask them for every container that they had. If they had cups, get the cups. If they had jars, get the jars. If they had pitchers, get the pitchers. Get every empty vessel that they could put their hands on from all their neighbors. Bring them back to the house. Shut the door and then pour this one small little cup of oil, or this one little jar of oil, into these other vessels until the oil ran out. You know, to the 20th century mind, this seems like nonsense. We feel constrained to sift things through the filter of our rationality. Now don't get me wrong, I love logic. And a person should use the sense that God has given them But sometimes we get off track by believing that the PhDs have more authority than the Word of the Lord. This woman did not think Elisha's instructions were irrational. She hoped in the Lord. She believed the Word of His prophet. So Elisha's instructions were not the least bit irrational to her. She immediately sent her children out to borrow as many containers as they could. Verse 5. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. Why did God require her to send out her children to collect these containers? Well, God was testing the quality of her faith in order to teach her how to trust God even more. And also, in us seeing this passage, God is teaching us how to trust Him in the midst of severe and terrible circumstances. God required her unquestioning faithfulness. 
and she passed the test. So how will you respond the next time God puts you through a test? Will your faith be unquestioning? Not only was her faith unquestioning, it was also wholehearted. She sent her children out to find as many containers as she could, as, as they could. They were to go to every neighbors, not just to people on their block, not just to the people they knew. They were to go to all their neighbors, collect as many vessels as they could find. I think we can better understand this widow's wholehearted faithfulness if we compare her to the Israelites in chapter 3. For those of you who are visiting, what we're doing is we are going through the life of Elisha. And so two weeks ago was the last sermon. I was away last week. But uh, we were in Second Kings chapter 3. The Israelites in Second Kings chapter 3 were told to defeat the Moabites. And how were they to defeat them? They were to, to, to defeat them militarily and economically. They were to destroy their economy by cutting down every good tree, by stopping up every spring of water, by throwing rocks on every suitable piece of land for growing crops, and then to destroy them militarily by destroying, pulling down, and defeating every fortified city. The Israelites were faithful in doing all that was commanded except for that last city. Remember how Kir Harioth, or Harasheth rather, fought back furiously against the Israelites there at the end of chapter 3. And so, because the fury of the Moabites' resistance was so great, the Israelites withdrew from Moab and went back to their homes. They were 95% obedient to all God's commands. But then the chapter ends abruptly. The last verse of chapter 3. I'll start with the two, the two last verses of chapter 3. When the king of Moab saw that the battle was going against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through opposite the king of Adam, but they could not. Then he took his oldest son who was to reign in his place and offered him for a burnt offering on the wall. And so this wicked king is offering his son to a false god. But the people in Harasheth rallied around the king when he did this. And there came great wrath against Israel. And they withdrew from him and returned to their own land. You see how abruptly this chapter ends? There's no postscript here. And the idea is that this chapter leaves us with the impression that God was not pleased with Israel's 95% obedience because it was not wholehearted. When the going got tough, they left and went back home. God wants from us wholehearted obedience. He wants us to be wholeheartedly faithful to Him. Think about it like this. Would Noah have been wholeheartedly obedient to God if he did not uh, build the ark in keeping with God's command to make it 450 long, uh, 450 feet long, 45 feet high, 75 feet long? 
What if Noah had said, God's telling me to build a boat. He gave me these specifications. But it'd be a bit easier if I just made for myself and my family a 12-foot canoe. Or would Abraham have been wholeheartedly obedient when God told him to sacrifice his son, his only son Isaac? His beloved son Isaac. Would he have been faithful if he just... if? if he was only willing to prick Isaac's finger instead of offering up him up as a sacrifice. Let me ask you, how often has your obedience been partial? How many times have you stopped short of what God has commanded you to do? God will indeed take us out of our comfort zone to see if we will obey Him. God might make us look foolish to our neighbors if we are going to be obedient to Him. Where are you going to have to sacrifice for the sake of wholehearted obedience to God? Are you willing to do it? Or do you keep God and His commandments at arm's length? You're willing to touch them, but you're not willing to embrace them. Well, this woman was wholeheartedly and unquestioningly faithful to God. You say, but I can't do it. I don't have it in me. I've tried and I am not simply able to do it. I don't have the power in me to do it. Well, that's true. The good news is God sent uh, His one and only Son into this world, and His Son was unquestioningly faithful to the Father. He was wholeheartedly faithful to the Father. Christ did not say, I don't want to die for people who hate God. Rather, He said, not my will, but your will be done. He did not question. He was wholehearted. He persevered through the scorn, through the mocking, through the crown of thorns, through the whips, and through the nails. He endured to the end. And He did it for sinners. He didn't stop short. And I bring up the Lord Jesus Christ because the Gospel is not about our self-discipline in being unquestioning or being wholehearted. It's not about what we do. The Gospel is about a person. It's about God the Son who came and was faithful for us so that we can be faithful to God. And so, if you are going to be unquestioning in your faithfulness, if you're going to be wholehearted in your obedience, the first and most important thing, the only thing, is to embrace Jesus Christ and don't let go of Him. Keep your eye and your heart upon Him. Keep the arms of your faith wrapped around Him. Being wholehearted in your obedience, being unquestioning in your your faithfulness is not simply about your self-discipline. 
It's about Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, when we embrace Him, He gives us His Holy Spirit. And His Holy Spirit will work in you to help you be faithful. So if there is no pattern of faithfulness in your life, it means that you don't have the Holy Spirit at working in you. It means you're not a Christian. And you need to flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He loves to be embraced by sinners. And He gives us His righteousness. He gives us His goodness. He gives us His power. It is through Jesus Christ then that God will help us to be faithful to Him. And when we are faithful to Him, He also blesses then our faithfulness. God blessed this widow's faithfulness. She served as much oil as the jars would contain. If, if her sons had collected one million containers for that oil, how many containers would have been filled? One million containers. If they had only collected two containers for that oil, how many jars... How many containers would have been filled? Only two. God blessed the extent of her faithfulness. Her faithfulness to God's Word was great. Therefore, so was her blessing. Here is the key thought that I want you to leave with this morning. It's a quote I read from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, The amount of blessing we receive depends entirely on ourselves. If the amount of blessing depended on God, there would literally be no end to it. We choose how much or how little we get of God's blessing by our willingness to trust Him and follow His directions. We choose how much or how little of God's blessings that we receive by how wholeheartedly and unquestioningly faithful we are to God. Now, God's blessings are given by grace alone. It was God. It is only God who gives us blessings. It is God who provided the miracle of these jars continuing to be filled. This woman did not bless herself. God is the one who blesses. And this is important because you might hear me saying that the amount of our blessing depends upon ourselves. And you might be thinking that I'm teaching legalism. That uh, is really what you do that matters. No. God is sovereign. He, His grace has the priority. We are to be obedient but it is His grace at work in us that enables us to be obedient. We are to be unquestioningly faithful, but it is His Holy Spirit who has given us that faith to do that. We are to be wholeheartedly faithful, but it is His Holy Spirit at work in us. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Paul says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's your 100%. 
For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do according to His good purpose. There's God's 100% undergirding your 100%. Or Ephesians 2 verse 10, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which He prepared in advance for us to do. We do the good works. He prepared us in advance to do them. We are God's workmanship. He's the one at work in us. In fact, His faithfulness to you, the fact that He is at work in you, is the guarantee that you can be wholeheartedly and unquestioningly faithful to Him. Your obedience, your faithfulness, rest upon His grace. We are sinners. The very thing we want to do, we don't do. The very thing we hate, we end up doing. Yet at the very same time, we can sing along with Paul, I can do all things right to get me strength. We are more conquerors through Him who loved us. So I'm not talking about legalism. And on this exact same time, I'm not talking about passivity as well. There's this idea of faith is letting go and letting God. But natural activity is the enemy of grace and hinders God's actions. No. Because God is at work in you, He enables you to be obedient. There are hurtful consequences to small obedience or to small faithfulness. First of all, if you're a Christian and you're holding God at arm's length, if you're not being wholeheartedly faithful, unquestioningly faithful, you're not going to really be that obedient. And you're going to be you're going to have a guilty conscience because the Holy Spirit's going to be convicting you. And you walk around with a guilty conscience wondering, does God really love me? Or, very similarly, you're a Christian and you read these promises and you have these expectations of blessing in your life, but you're not experiencing them, you're not possessing them. And so you struggle in your faith. God, why am I not possessing these these promises? And God says, you're not receiving them through your faithfulness to Me. And then you also are going to reap the consequences of small faithfulness. What you sow, that you will reap. If you are reaping 95% obedience to God, you're not going to reap the full measure of God's blessing. And then I think you will also be missing out on the greatest blessing of all. And that is that sweet communion and fellowship with God that comes as we are walking with Him, as we are seeking Him with our whole heart. We are seeking to to obey His Word without question. There's a sweetness in life when we are communing with God like that. So those are some of the consequences but the negative, hurtful consequences, there are also wonderful consequences. Remember how I talked about at the beginning of the sermon? The hope, joy, and peace that is promised to us. 
when you walk with God in unquestioning and wholehearted obedience and faithfulness to Him, you will experience more of that hope, joy, and peace. When you are walking with Him wholeheartedly, you'll have confidence, whereas otherwise you might have been experiencing worry and anxiety. When you are walking with the Lord in wholehearted faithfulness and obedience to Him, you're also going to have more of that self-control that's promised. This woman was faithful to God and He put her into the oil business. Oh, come on. I saw one little smile there. I don't have too many that I come up with. He put her in the oil business. In other words, He blessed her beyond what she could have imagined. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I pray that You would help us as a congregation and as individuals in the congregation to lean upon You, seeking You, and seeking unquestioned and wholehearted faithfulness to You. Lord, we see how You took care of this woman in impossible circumstances. Lord, You have promised the same for us. Do it, Lord. For we trust in Christ our Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.